Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. Many animals have the ability to remember. Rats, for instance, can be taught to follow a maze in what scientists would describe as pattern or rote memory. Only man was given the divine gift of logic to analyze memories of the past in order to make decisions about the future. The history of man, however, is littered with lessons ignored, usually with disastrous results. The Bible teaches us that good and evil are absolutes and that God expects us to understand the difference and act accordingly. Throughout history, ignoring this basic lesson has led to the downfall of individuals and nations over and over again. Evil cannot be ignored, accepted, or appeased. It must be confronted and conquered. The founders of our nation were inspired by God to create a government that was responsive to and based on the morality and sovereignty of the individual citizens of sovereign states. Our Constitution was a contract among 13 sovereign states that created a federal entity with limited and enumerated powers. As the contractors, the states retained all powers not delegated to the federal government. The federal government, as it was the creation of the sovereign states, was most assuredly not a party to the agreement. Our founders gave us three tools to enforce this contract. Nullification, interposition, and secession. Nullification is constitutional, but complicated by politicians and their self-serving agendas. Secession is also constitutional, but it has been tried and it failed. Interposition remains the most useful tool available to us as individuals and for local governments to control and restrain a federal government its elected officials, and its bureaucrats, whose lust for power knows no bounds. Recently, I read a book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates, by Pastor Matt Truella. The subtitle of this book says it all, A Proper Resistance to Tyranny and a Repudiation of Unlimited Obedience to Civil Government. 
My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is the author of this incredibly powerful, meaningful, and important book, Pastor Matt Truella. Pastor Matt, welcome to Freedom Forum Radio. Great to be here, Dr. Dan. Uh, that is a phenomenal introduction. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for being, because I think the message that you bring to our listeners is incredibly important, especially in this day. So let's talk first about the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. Can you define the doctrine for my listeners? Yeah, the doctrine simply is that when the higher-ranking civil authority makes unjust or immoral laws, policies, or court opinions, the lower or lesser-ranking civil authority has both the right and the duty not to obey the higher authority and, if necessary, to actively resist them. There was actually a quote by a higher magistrate that kind of sums up the doctrine. Uh, Emperor Trajan, upon giving a sword to one of his subordinates, said this when he gave him the sword. He said, Use this sword against my enemies if I give righteous commands. But if I give unrighteous commands, use it against me. So that's kind of the doctrine in a nutshell. We call it a doctrine because it was made such by Christian men in 1550 in Magdeburg, Germany. They actually formalized it into a doctrine. And John Knox, in 1558, wrote probably the best treatise ever on the doctrine in his appellation to the nobles of Scotland, the nobles being the lesser magistrates of, of that day. He cited over 70 passages of Scripture to establish the doctrine. And so... The doctrine is an important tool founded in Scripture, which has been proven down through history to effectively rein in tyranny by higher civil authority and to often do it bloodlessly. And it's been used by men from before the time of Christ. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it within pagan nations. We see it throughout the history of Christianity. And um, it's needed now in our day here with a federal government that has become absolutely lawless. You know, in your book, you start out with a story about the, the Roman emperor Caligula. Can you want to tell my listeners that story and how the lesser magistrates intervened in that case? Sure. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Caligula, you know, kind of tyranny personified, if you will. Um, when you look at his life, um, he got ticked off at the Jews in 39 AD about something and he decided that to get back at them he was going to have a law um, made a law law of the emperor and declared that a statue of himself should be placed in the temple there in Jerusalem so this law and order was sent to the governor of Palestine at that time a man named Publius Petronius Governor Petronius upon receiving this law um, immediately had the state statue made, and he also assembled 12,000 troops because he figured, yeah, there might be a little trouble putting a statue of the emperor there in the temple in Jerusalem. Well, the Jews got wind of it while everyone was wintering, waiting for spring to come, and they decided to intervene by going to Governor Petronius and pleading with him, remonstrating, demonstrating before him, don't do this. This is an immoral law of the emperor please do not follow it do not put the statue in the temple 
And Governor Petronius responded by saying, uh, no, thank you. I want to live. I'm going to obey the emperor and, and do his bidding, not yours. Well, these Jews weren't like, you know, your average American who wrote a letter and didn't get a response and then moved on with their life. They were tenacious folk, and they actually kept coming back to him. They even sent a private delegation of men of renown to meet with him and try to reason with him. And more and more kept coming till they reached the number of over 30,000 Jews with men, women, children coming before the governor, pleading with him, demonstrating, don't do this. Don't enact this law of the emperor. Don't desecrate our temple. And lo and behold, in the end, Governor Petronius finally turned from following the bidding of the emperor. And he actually called the Jews to Tiberius where he was. And when they walked in, there were 12,000 Roman soldiers in the arena. And they were a little trepidatious because they thought something bad might be happening to them. Because the last time they were before the governor, they actually laid down on the ground and bared their necks and said, kill us now. We cannot live in peaceful coexistence with this unjust and moral law. So they didn't know what was going to happen. And Governor Petronius stood, Jews on one side, Roman legions on the other, and he declared the law of the emperor, which resistance to it was death. And then he stepped down and actually walked out and stood between the soldiers and the Jews, demonstrating inner position. And then he declared that he would not obey the law of the emperor and that he would do all he could to see that the uh, statue was not placed there in the temple. He sent a letter to Caligula um, exhorting him not to follow through with this. He informed him that he would not obey him, that he would not institute this statue in the temple. Well, of course, Caligula was mad and got ticked off, and he sent word to Petronius to kill himself. Two weeks later, in God's providence, Caligula's Praetorian Guard assassinates him. And fortunately for Governor Petronius, the ship carrying news about him having to kill himself arrived after the ship carrying word that the emperor had been assassinated. So the statue never was placed in the temple. It's a perfect little story of how the doctrine of the lesser magistrate works. And this doctrine, Dr. Dan, is needed in all forms of government whether it's a monarchy, a democracy, a dictatorship, or a constitutionally representative republic. Tyranny can raise its ugly head in every form of government. And that's why it's incumbent upon the magistrates not to just blindly do the bidding of the higher uh, civil authority. So you see, in the instance in the Roman Empire with the with the Caligula, uh, Petronius actually physically put himself between the Jews and the Roman soldiers, an act of imp- interposition that was physical as well as uh, actual in terms of the law. So he placed himself there uh, as a symbol. And in actuality. So that's really what interposition is, is it not? That's exactly what interposition is. It's where one willingly places himself in 
the gap between the oppressor and his intended victims. And, and probably the primary foremost passage, although there's many, um, talks about interposition is Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 27 through 30, where God talks about the evil that was going on in the land, how he looked for someone to stand in the gap. He found no one. And so he brought his righteous judgment upon the land. So when it comes to the interposition of the lesser magistrate, not only does he protect the people under his jurisdiction from the tyranny of the higher civil authority, but they also actually abate the just judgment of God. When evil is decreed, like homosexual marriage, the slaughter of the preborn, innocent blood being shed, and it's allowed to go on, that brings judgment on a nation. But when the lesser magistrates interpose and refuse to go along with it, their interposition actually abates the just judgment of God and prevents his judgment from coming upon the land. So it's an incredibly important doctrine, um, interposition is. And when it comes to the uh, interposition of the lesser magistrate, uh, their actions are incredibly important to the nation itself as a whole. I think the key in all of this is that the law of God is an objective standard by which men uh, should determine whether the laws of men are just, uh, moral, or immoral. So, in other words, you have to have an objective standard. You can't have this wishy-washy line where things are gray, because most of these, when it comes to God's law, there is no gray. There are things that are moral and things that are not. And once you accept that and recognize that, then you have to be a lesser magistrate. You have to stand in the gap. And you cannot allow. You just cannot sit back idly and allow an immoral law uh, to be promulgated among the people. Absolutely. Yeah, in fact, it's one's allegiance to divine law, to the law of God, that gives men the courage to actually stand against tyranny. Um, and you're right. There has to be an objective standard. Uh, this is the one part of my book uh, I address what you just brought up in the book, how that the law of God was the objective standard for Western man for 1,500 years. Uh, the law of God was the objective standard which, by which we determined whether laws made were, by men were just or unjust, right or wrong, moral or immoral. Everyone viewed the law of God as being the objective standard to which all men and all governments of men were accountable. So laws made by men, which were contrary to the law of God, were viewed as no law at all. And this is a historical fact. Um, whether you read Alfred the Great in the 9th century, you read John of Salisbury in the 12th century, or you read William Blackstone in the 18th century, the most cited legal scholar by America's founders, they all viewed God's law as what they called the higher law, to which all men and all nations and all governments and men were accountable. Well, you know, and, our, um, I'm sorry, but our founders, and you, you just mentioned, but our founders, when they wrote the Constitution, they fully recognized that this was all based on God's law and that you had to have a moral society in order for the whole concept to work. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, William Blackstone, most cited legal scholar by America's founders, 
said this. He said, upon these two foundations, the law of nature and the law of revelation, talking about God's written law, depend all human laws. That is to say, no human laws should be suffered to contradict these. And he went on to say this. He said, it, talking about the law of God, is binding over all the globe in all countries and at all times. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this, and such of them as are valid derive all their force and all their authority immediately or immediately from this original. The doctrines thus delivered we call the revealed or divine law, and they are found only in the holy scriptures. So this was the common thinking of man, Western man, for 1,500 years, that the law of God was the objective standard by which to determine whether law was just or unjust, good or bad, moral or immoral, and now the law of God has been cast off. Even money in Christianity are hostile towards the law of God. The overwhelming preponderance of the form of Christianity we have in America today, now the people are hostile towards the law of God. And once you remove the objective standard, what that does is it empowers the state to make it up as they go, to make it out of thin air what the rule of law is, to make up law based on the passions and whims of men. And so the objective standard is massively important um, when it comes to the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. Well, you know, I think that we have seen in the course of human history many instances in which man has gone against what we know to be the God's morality. Uh, I don't think it's difficult for us to find many examples of that. I know, for instance, uh, in medicine, uh, way back thousands of years ago, uh, in the in the Greek society, uh, Socrates and Plato believed that you know life did not really begin until five weeks after birth, and that it was okay to kill infants who didn't fit in with the plan. And that if you were a little too old, you could not get palliative care. And it took uh, Hippocrates to come and say, no, this is not right. That life is divine, it is God-given, and it is the duty of a physician uh, to care for people from, in those days, from birth until death, equally. And so we have the the Hippocratic Oath that we all uh, practice medicine under, and it really held true for for centuries and centuries. And to me, one of the the worst times for medicine was during the Nazi era in Germany, when doctors completely ignored morality to torture, experiment on, and murder human beings. Uh, And that was all at the behest of an immoral government. <clears throat> yes. And that's what happens. Man rebels against God. They throw off his rule. And then they find out, yeah, the status rule is worse. <laughs> the totalitarian's rule is worse. Or the Islamist rule is worse. They don't want his rule. And they throw it off. And they end up finding themselves in a worse condition. It's like one man once said, you know, if man will not be governed by God, then he'll be ruled by tyrants. And we can see that within our culture today um, because um, just look at the federal law books, how many shelves it takes to fill up. They have invaded every aspect and inch of our lives. 
They have become a behemoth that is unrestrained, has long left its constitutional confines as established by our founders, and as you mentioned at the beginning of this show. And so it's time for people, A, to draw close to the Lord (laughs) and turn from their sin, and B, to restore that which has been messed over by a lawless federal judiciary, a lawless federal government. And there is an awakening going on, Dr. Dan. I do see people waking up. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. I get joy in everything. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning.